Chapter 5, Part 2 of Explorers and Travelers by Adolphus W. Greeley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Tomko. Chapter 5, Captain Meriwether Lewis and Lieutenant William Clark, Part 2. On the 20th, Twenty-two hundred and seventy miles from St. Louis, they came to the greenish-yellow waters of the Mussel Shell, and a short distance beyond Captain Lewis caught his first glimpse of the Rocky Mountains, the object of his hope and ambition. Beyond the Mussel Shell, their experiences were less pleasant. The country became more barren, game and timber scarce, mosquitoes annoying, the high dry winds full of sand made their eyes sore the sun of midday burned while most every night ice or frost chilled them the clear waters of the judith river and its woods beautiful with multitudinous mountain roses the fragrant honeysuckle and the tiny red willows delighted their eyes but the sight of a hundred and twenty-six lately abandoned lodge fires caused some uneasiness as indicating a late camping place of a war party of vicious northern minotaries or blackfeet a few miles farther as they passed a precipice a hundred and twenty feet high they saw evidence of the cunning and wasteful methods of hunting by indians for the remains of over a hundred buffalo were scattered around though the stream must have washed many away lewis adds these buffaloes had been chased down the precipice in a way very common on the missouri and by which vast herds were destroyed in a moment the mode of hunting is to select one of the most active and fleet young men who is disguised in a buffalo skin round his body the skin of the head with the ears and horns are fastened on his own head in such a way as to deceive the buffalo thus dressed he fixes himself at a convenient distance between a herd of buffalo and any of the river precipices which sometimes extend for several miles his companions, in the meantime, get in the rear and side of the herd, and at a given signal show themselves and advance toward the buffalo. They instantly take the alarm, and, finding the hunters beside them, they run toward the disguised Indian or decoy, who leads them on at full speed toward the river, when suddenly, securing himself in some crevice of the cliff, which he had previously fixed on, the herd is left on the brink of the precipice it is then in vain for the foremost to retreat or even to stop they are pressed on by the hindmost ranks who seeing no danger but from the hunters goad on those before them till the whole are precipitated and the shore is strewed with their dead bodies sometimes in this perilous seduction the indian himself is either trodden under foot or missing his footing in the cliff is urged down the precipice by the falling herd the river now took the form of frequent rapids which made the work of dragging the heavy canoes very painful and the narrative runs the banks are so slippery in some places and the mud so adhesive that the men are unable to wear moccasins one-fourth of the time they are obliged to be up to their armpits in the cold water and sometimes walk for yards over sharp fragments of rocks on June 3rd, they came to where the river divided into two large streams, and it became of vital importance to the expedition to determine which was the Missouri, or Amateaza, as the Minotaries called it, and which, they said, approached very near to the Columbia. The success of the expedition depended on the right decision, so Captain Lewis concluded to encamp until reconnoitering columns could examine the two forks. Lewis, following up the north branch, 
two days' march, decided that it was not the Missouri and named it Maria's River. In returning, he narrowly escaped slipping over a precipice some ninety feet high. Lewis had just reached a spot of safety when, says the narrative, he heard a voice behind him cry out, Good God, Captain, what shall I do? He turned instantly and found it was Windsor, who had lost his foothold about the middle of the narrow pass and had slipped down to the very verge of the precipice, where he lay on his belly, with his right arm and leg over the precipice, while with the other leg and arm he was with difficulty holding on to keep himself from being dashed to pieces below. His dreadful situation was instantly perceived by Captain Lewis, who, stifling his alarm, calmly told him that he was in no danger, that he should take his knife out of his belt with the right hand and dig a hole in the side of the bluff to receive his foot. With great presence of mind he did this, and then raised himself on his knees. Captain Lewis then told him to take off his moccasins and come forward on his hands and knees, holding a knife in one hand and his rifle in the other he immediately crawled in this way till he came to a secure spot one of lieutenant clark's party on the south fork at the same time ran great danger from a grizzly bear which attacked near camp a man whose gun being wet would not go off the man took to a tree so closely followed by the animal that he struck the hunter's foot as he was climbing the bear showed his intention of waiting until the man should be forced to descend but fortunately alarmed by the cries and signal shots of a searching party decamped while lewis and clark concurred in believing the south fork to be the true missouri the rest of the party were unanimous in thinking the north the right course finally cashing their heaviest boat and all the supplies which could well be spared the entire party followed the south fork lewis pushing on confidently with four men confirmed his opinion by reaching on june thirteenth the great falls of the missouri which by their sublime majesty and stupendous magnitude fascinated him the description of these falls at the time of their first view by civilized man is worthy of reproduction the river three hundred yards wide was shut in by precipitous cliffs and for ninety yards from the left cliff the water falls in one smooth sheet over a precipice of eighty feet the rest of the river precipitates itself with a more rapid current but received as it falls by the irregular and projecting rocks below forms a splendid prospect of white foam two hundred yards in length this spray is dissipated in a thousand shapes as it rises from the fall it beats with fury against a ledge of rocks which extend across the river on examination lewis found that the river for three miles below was one continued succession of rapids and cascades overhung with perpendicular bluffs from one hundred and fifty to two hundred feet high in short it seemed to have worn itself a channel through the solid rock at the main falls five miles above the first the whole missouri is suddenly stopped by one shelving rock which without a single niche and with an edge as straight and regular as if formed by art stretches itself from one side of the river to the other for at least a quarter of a mile over this the river precipitates itself in an even uninterrupted sheet to the perpendicular depth of fifty feet whence dashing against the rocky bottom it rushes rapidly down leaving behind it a spray of the purest foam across the river the scene was singularly beautiful without any of the wild irregular sublimity of the lower falls in a cottonwood tree on a small island in the middle of the rapids an eagle had fixed its nest 
a solitary bird which had not escaped the observation of the Indians who had previously described it to Lewis. On leaving the falls, Lewis saw a herd of a thousand buffalo and killed one for supper. In his eagerness, he failed to reload his rifle when he beheld a grizzly bear stealing on him and not over twenty paces distant. He felt that there was no safety but in flight. It was in the open, level plain, so that there was no possible mode of concealment. As soon as he turned, the bear ran, open-mouthed and at full speed, upon him. Captain Lewis ran about eighty yards, but finding that the animal gained on him fast, he turned short, plunged into the river about waist-deep, and, facing about, presented the point of his spontoon. The bear arrived at the water's edge within twenty feet of him, but as soon as he put himself in this posture of defense, the animal seemed frightened and retreated with as much precipitation as he had pursued. The means and route for portage presented difficult problems for the exhausted party, as it was clearly evident that the men could not carry the boats on their shoulders such great distances. Fortunately, a creek was found at the foot of the falls, where the banks afforded easy access to the highlands. It was first necessary to cross the Missouri, and here the party went into camp while preparations were made for the portage. Lieutenant Clark, with a few men, carefully surveyed the trail to be followed. Others engaged in hunting in order to lay up a store of dried meat, and the handy men of the party set to work on a carriage for the transport of the boats. By good fortune, they found a large cottonwood tree, about twenty-two inches in diameter, large enough to make the carriage wheels perhaps the only tree of that size within twenty miles. As they had decided to cache a part of their stores and leave their largest boat behind, its mast supplied them with two axle-trees. In the meantime, the survey of Clark showed that the series of cataracts had an aggregate descent of 363 feet in 17 miles, and that a very difficult portage of 13 miles was necessary. The country was barely practicable for travel, and was covered with frequent patches of prickly pear, against the tiny penetrating needles, of which the moccasins of the dragging men afforded almost no protection. To add to their misfortunes, when about five miles from their destination, the axle-trees, made of the old mast, broke, and then the tongues of green cottonwood gave way. After diligent search, sweet willow-trees were found, with which they managed by shifts and expedients familiar to frontiersmen, to patch up the carriage so as to go on. It broke down so completely about a half mile from the new camp that it was easier to carry boat and baggage on their shoulders than to build a new conveyance. The condition of the party is evident from the narrative. The men are loaded as heavily as their strength will permit. The crossing is really painful. Some are limping with the soreness of their feet. Others are scarcely able to stand for more than a few minutes from the heat and fatigue. They are all obliged to halt and rest frequently, and at almost every stopping place they fall, and many of them are asleep in an instant. Later it was needful to repair the carriage and to travel over and over the portage until, after ten days of weary labor, all the equipage was above the falls. In the meantime, the hunters had accumulated nearly half a ton of dried meat, buffalo being plenty. The grizzly bear, however, was also present, active, aggressive, and dangerous as usual. They infested the camp at night, causing much alarm, and once carried off buffalo meat from a pole within thirty yards of the men. 
A hunter set out to bring in meat was boldly attacked by a bear and narrowly escaped death, being pursued to within forty paces of the camp. Another animal was killed when rushing up to attack men who had to climb a tree, while making sufficient noise to attract their rescuer, Druyer, the interpreter and hunter, who shot him through the head. He proved to be the largest they had seen, being eight feet seven and a half inches long, while his forefeet measured nine inches and hind feet seven inches across, and eleven and three quarters long exclusive of the talons another hunter was attacked by a grizzly fortunately near the river so that he was able to conceal himself under a steep bank otherwise he would probably have lost his life the perils of navigation and the chase were not all for a cloudburst and hailstorm contributed to their danger and suffering the hail was so large and driven so furiously by the high wind that it knocked down several of the men one three times, bruising another very badly, and wounding some so that they bled freely. The fallen hail lay in drifts, which in places completely covered the ground, and some of the stones weighed three ounces and measured seven inches in circumference. Clark Chabonneau and his wife took shelter under shelving rocks in a deep ravine, congratulating themselves on their protected position suddenly however the rain fell in a solid mass and instantly collecting in the ravine came rolling down in a dreadful torrent carrying rocks and everything before it but for lieutenant clark chabonneau his wife and child would have been lost so instantly was the rise of the water that as lieutenant clark had reached his gun and began to ascend the bank the water was up to his waist and he could scarce get up faster than it rose till it reached the height of fifteen feet with a furious current which had they waited a moment longer would have swept them into the river just above the great falls down which they must have inevitably been precipitated though the phases of their daily life brought much that was rough and hard yet their privations were not unmixed with pleasures rude though they may seem to the city dweller long tramps and exciting rides after game side marches to commanding hilltops for grateful views of an unknown country barren to the eye perhaps but grateful to the soul for were they not the first men of their race who ever looked upon it or pleasant journeys through upland forests or the undergrowth of the intervale to search and gather whatever was beautiful to the eye novel to the mind or a welcome addition to their scanty larder which were their rare pleasures now they waded through waist-high patches of wild rye recalling with its fine soft beard the waving fields of grain they had left in the far east again they pushed on in these dense copses of the sinuous redwood whose delicate inner bark furnished pleasant indian tobacco to the frenchman and half-breed sometimes the trail lay through an open wood with smaller undergrowth where beds of odorous mint recalled his virginian home to lewis where the delicate mountain rose in countless thousands was born to blush unseen where if only one ripened berry to-day invited the hunter other kinds promised their welcome fruit in due but later season rarely did the dull gray of the sky dim the glory of a whole day and the short summer showers freshening the beauty of the landscape and abating the fervid heat of midsummer seemed only too infrequent and above all the pure free upland air that gives vigor and health to the body joy and lightness to the heart 
almost annihilates distance to the eye and in breathing which one drinks into the lungs the very wine of life surely more than the heroes of virgil's song did they feel that sweet in their memory would abide these days forever of the mountains now always in sight and a constant source of inspiration to the eager explorers those to the north and northwest were yet snow-capped and lewis says they glisten with great beauty when the sun shines on them in a particular direction and most probably from the glittering appearance have derived the name of the shining mountains during his explorations of the country around the falls captain lewis visited a remarkable and beautiful spring near the present city of great falls montana of it he writes the fountain which perhaps is the largest in america is situated in a pleasant level plain about twenty-five yards from the river into which it falls over some steep irregular rocks with a sudden descent of about six feet in one part of its course the water boils up from among the rocks with such force near the centre that the surface seems higher than the earth on the sides of the fountain which is a handsome turf of fine green grass while the main party was making the portage a detachment was occupied in fitting up a boat of skins the iron frame of which thirty-six feet long had been prepared for the purpose at harper's ferry the iron frame is to be covered with skins and requires thin shaped strips of wood for lining the skins necessary to cover it have already been prepared twenty-eight elk and four buffalo skins this experimental boat proved to be a total failure and it was not till lewis's long journey was nearly over that he copied the skin boat of the indian squaws which had excited his surprise and found that the methods of the locality could be followed with advantage in navigation as well as otherwise as the six canoes were insufficient to carry all their men and supplies clark was sent ahead to find suitable wood for two more there being no fit trees below the falls with much difficulty trees were found and two canoes three feet wide and twenty-five and thirty-three feet long respectively were fashioned near here a deserted indian lodge or council house was seen it was two hundred and sixteen feet in circumference made of sixteen cottonwood poles fifty feet long converging toward the centre where they were united and secured by large withs of sinewy willow although the swivel and some other articles had been cached at the head of the falls their loads were yet very heavy and all walked except those engaged in working the canoe the windings of the river became very tortuous and frequent rapids made their progress correspondingly slow and laborious game was less plentiful and as it was necessary to save the dried and concentrated food for the crossing of the mountains it became somewhat of a task to provide food for a party of thirty-two which consumed a quantity of meat daily equal to an elk and deer four deer or one buffalo fortunately the berries were now ripening and as they grew in great quantities proved a not inconsiderable contribution to their food supply of currants there were red purple yellow and black all pleasant to the taste the yellow being thought superior to any other known variety the purple service berry and pinkish gooseberry were also favorites besides they made use of the very abundant and almost omnipresent sunflower of it lewis says the indians of the missouri more especially those who did not cultivate maize made great use of the seed of this plant for bread or in thickening their soup 
they first parch and then pound it between two stones until it is reduced to a fine meal sometimes they add a portion of water and drink it thus diluted at other times they add a sufficient proportion of marrow grease to reduce it to the consistency of common dough and eat it in that manner this last composition we preferred to all the rest and thought it at that time a very palatable dish the missouri now took in general a southerly course and on july eighteenth they reached a bold clear stream which was named dearborn river for the then secretary of war they had intended to send back a small party in canoes with dispatches but as they had not met the snake indians and so were uncertain as to their friendliness it was thought best not to weaken their already small party for hostilities lewis decided however to send clark with three men in advance to open up communication with these indians and if possible to negotiate for horses clark's journey was a failure for the indians alarmed at the firing of a gun fled into the mountains the mountains now closed in on the explorers and they camped one night at a place named the gates of the rocky mountains for five and three-quarter miles these rocks rise perpendicularly from the water's edge to the height of nearly twelve hundred feet they are composed of black granite near the base but we suppose the upper part to be flint of a yellowish-brown and cream color nothing can be imagined more tremendous than the frowning blackness of these rocks which project over the river and threaten us with destruction for the first three miles there is not a spot except one of a few yards in which a man could stand between the water and the towering perpendicular of the mountains end of chapter five part two recording by william tomcoe